you open your Bibles to John chapter 11, I'm going to give you all the more reasons today to want to please the Lord, to honor the Lord, to serve the Lord, and to have all the hope, confidence, trust, excitement, passion in the Lord you can ever hope for. In this very passage of Scripture, where we take on the question of the afterlife and, and what happens next. Last week we saw that the seeds of the New Testament's theology or doctrine or teaching on resurrection and the afterlife are certainly well-grounded in the Old Testament. Some might say it's just a New Testament thing, but you know better now. All the way through the Old Testament, especially the prophets, and finally Daniel in chapter 12, reminds us that there is more beyond the door of death. There is an afterlife. And today we sort of catch this transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Before the New Testament is actually written down, it's being lived out. And so we'll find in the Gospels really Jesus' teaching on the afterlife. In that transition window, of course, you still have some disagreement among the Jews. Uh, for example, you have the Pharisees who believed in resurrection. Of all things, uh, Jesus didn't disagree with everything they believed. The resurrection was something they hoped for and taught. But the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection or angels, or spirits. They didn't believe in any of that. So here's how this works to help you remember. The Pharisees believed in resurrection. That's why they were fair, you see. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. You can't get this close to this concept without using that. Now you can use it tomorrow at the coffee pot or wherever you happen to be. Jesus encountered the Sadducees and had a really interesting conversation with him as we see this movement from the old to the new and to the teaching of Jesus. They asked him a question they didn't really care the answer to. It was a question about if a woman has a husband who is deceased and a husband who is deceased and a husband seven times, whose husband, uh, whose wife will she be in the afterlife? Now, it doesn't matter the answer to the question. They don't care about the question. They don't believe in the afterlife. They're poking fun at this notion of living afterwards, of anything beyond. So Jesus disposes of the question they really don't care the answer to, but his teaching on the subject of resurrection is really intel it's telling. It's very informative. In Matthew 22, remember I'm meeting you in John in a moment, Jesus answered them, the Sadducees. He said, you are wrong, meaning you don't believe in the resurrection. You are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures, and what Scriptures did the Sadducees have? They didn't have the epistles, they didn't have the book of Acts, they didn't have the Gospels. They had the Old Testament. And primarily they focus on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Moses. And they didn't find a direct teaching, they didn't find, doesn't mean it wasn't there. They didn't find the resurrection, the afterlife there, and so they threw it out. But now Jesus will say to the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, those in power, you don't know your scriptures, boys. Have you not read your own Bibles? Nor do you know the power of God. And that's an important point because resurrection is easy if God is God. Hello? So you know not the Scriptures nor the power of God. And verse 31 tells us, And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? Then he quotes from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, God speaking to Moses, which they love to quote, by the way. Now in Matthew twenty two thirty two, 32, Jesus says, quoting from Exodus 3, 6, I am, God speaking, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Notice the tense. I am. 
Now, some might say, well, that's the eternality of God, but there's more to the I am than I am there. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, he said that to Moses. How long has it been since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were on the scene when God spoke to Moses in Exodus 3, 6? A long time. A really long time, meaning they'd been dead, buried, gone. And yet God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And just to clear it up any further, then Jesus said, He is not God of the dead, but of the living. What is Jesus saying? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob aren't dead. If I am the God of these three... According to your theology, they cease to exist at death, therefore he is not their God. They're gone. But when God says, I'm the God of three dead guys, he must mean those three guys? Not so dead after all. And Jesus is pointing out to the Sadducees using their own Bibles, their ignorance concerning the resurrection and the afterlife, and the power of God in the Old Testament, and the promise of God in the Old Testament, that there is more afterlife. Now meet me, as I mentioned in John 11, and after all the teaching of Jesus throughout the Gospels on resurrection, he even demonstrated first in Jairus' home with his daughter who had died, though still laying on her bed, raised her, and then the widow's son was on the way to be buried. So he'd been dead just long enough for them to say, okay, we can go ahead and go to the cemetery now. And he raised the widow's son to life. But clearly the best teaching and the most powerful demonstration of Jesus And resurrection is in the story of the death and resurrection of his good friend, Lazarus. First, I want you to note, and I hope you'll jot this down, a different perspective on death and dying. Verse 1, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, The illness, this illness is not, does not lead to death. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So this illness, Jesus said, is not unto death. Now, we know the rest of the story, and we know that, in fact, it would lead to death. So, is this Jesus not knowing what's up, a proper or improper diagnosis? Or does he have a bit of a different perspective on death? Let's keep reading. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, see, when you get sick, doesn't mean God doesn't love you. When things don't work out just like you'd hoped or planned or expected, doesn't mean God doesn't love you. When he had heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Interesting. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now let's pause there for a moment just to make sure we understand the point that a good man with many friends, a close family, and even a friend of Jesus and of the family is sick and is dying. Death, yes. We have to admit it's undeniable, it's seemingly unstoppable, and it comes for all. There are no exceptions unless you say, well, there was Enoch and Elijah in the Old Testament, 
And there are some New Testament saints that we read about who will skip death and go straight into the glory of God through the rapture. Which, by the way, if you'd like to learn a bit more on that, every Wednesday night here at Champions, 645 in the Family Life Worship Center, I'm preaching through the book of Revelation. It'll take me all year. So we'll see you on Wednesday nights if you have any interest, and I know you do, in what comes next according to the book of Revelation. Meanwhile, if you're not Enoch, if you're not Elijah, if you're not a raptured saint, and by the way, I still practice once in a while just... You know, make sure I'm ready to go up. If, you, if, if, if Jesus doesn't return first, everybody between those groups of people will someday face their own mortality because the mortality rate among humans is still perfect. 100% that's the mortality rate. It's the fruit of the fall, the root of sin, the fruit is death. We've all sinned and the wages of sin is death. So from the moment that we rebel against God in any way, we sin against God, our body takes on the seeds of corruption and begins to corrode. Every one of us have death in our future. Doesn't matter Jesus, doesn't, doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love us, doesn't matter how much we love Jesus, we are wearing a decaying suit. As you've heard uh, our friend Charles Lowry says, it's my Adam's suit and it won't last. It won't last, it's fading, it's falling, it's decaying, it's dying, and it's the fruit of sin. And some people look at that as a terrible end, as an oh my, as a stay as far away from that as you possibly can, because death is a dreary, dark ending to all, and that's it, you're done. But then I read Psalm 116, verse 15, and it says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Now I think about that, what a different perspective that is on death and dying. That God could actually look at a saint whose body is giving out and giving in. Death has come as precious. And I think, how can God say that? How can death, it's so terrible, it's so sad, it's so ending of all that we know. How could that be precious? And then I read what Jesus said. In fact, read a little further with me. Let's go to verse 11 and listen to this different perspective. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Asleep? Asleep? What is asleep? Well, I go to awaken him. So there's a sense in which, okay, he's sick and he's dying, but maybe he's just asleep. The disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. So we don't have to hurry, right? But Jesus had spoken of his death. So he's already died. But they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. So what do you see here but two different perspectives on death? It seems as if he's sleeping, but in reality, he's died. It seems as if he's died, but in reality, he's sleeping. It just depends on our particular perspective. Then Jesus in 14, verse 14, told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Let's be clear about this, fellas. I want you to be un- clear to understand. He's, he's not sleeping as in your perception that he'll feel better and wake up. He's sleeping as in he's dead. And to us, it looks like he's just simply asleep. But in reality, he's gone. And for your sake, Jesus says, look at verse 15. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Well, thank you so much, Jesus. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. So clearly Jesus has a different perspective on death and dying than do his disciples. So how we feel about this end of life, doorway to the afterlife, has everything to do with our perspective and from which way we view it. 
I'll never forget, maybe I've told you that uh, some years ago, and almost 10 years ago, my father passed away. I'd been there all week, Monday through Friday. He seemed to turn around. The doctors were optimistic, and so being a Baptist preacher, I flew out Friday night to get back to preach on Sunday morning, but Saturday morning he took a turn for the worst, and he died. It wasn't a great travel day, and especially not with a moment's notice. The first flight I could get out was out of Hobby Airport, and so I raced down to Hobby, got on the plane. It was raining, it was storming. I thought, I'm not going to make it. It's going to be probably Sunday or Monday before I can get there with the storm. And so they boarded the plane, which surprised me. I mean, sitting on the plane, this rain's coming down. I look up, it's stormy, the clouds are heavy, thick, dark. I can hear the rumbling. I'm thinking, there's no way we're flying out of this. I kept waiting for any minute for him to say, folks, we're, we're going to be delayed today. In fact, I was hoping he was going to say, we'll be delayed. I don't like to fly in good weather, forget bad weather. I have old theory on those airplanes, but I'll tell you some other day. But uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in that metal tube. Anyway, so here we are sitting on the runway, and suddenly he hits the gas, jet fuel. And we start rumbling down that runway. And the whole time I'm thinking, in fact, I'm saying, in fact, I'm praying, we are not about to do this. But the front of that plane picked up, and then the rear wheels, and up in the air we went. And i got to tell you, it was rough. I mean, that thing bounced around and settled and lurched and fell back and tossed. He warned us. He said, it's going to be a little rough, folks. He was right. It's a good thing I'd taken those four Dramamine. <laughs> I could sleep through the whole thing. But I hadn't fallen asleep yet. I'm wide awake as it goes up through this really stormy cloud bank. And I'm thinking at any moment, this thing's just going to, spurp, you know? I mean, it can't fly anyway, right? Look at it. Have you ever looked at it? How does that fly? I don't get it. Anyway, here he goes. But then it happened. Then it happened. It's, it's an amazing thing. And, and I, every time this happens, I have the same sense come over me of awe. Because you know what? We were, we were going up through that dark, stormy cloud bank and, and with the thunder rumbling and the rain and bumping around. And then it happened. We punched through. We punched through the lower clouds and we got up above the clouds. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever had that experience? I mean, it's worth flying in a storm just to have it one time. When we got up on top, those same stormy clouds, same clouds from the top were altogether different. I mean, what was dark and foreboding and doom below and very unattractive from the top was just stunning in beauty. I mean, the, the sky above was as crystal clear blue as I'd ever seen. The contrast was incredible. And the same clouds which from beneath were just dark, heavy, and gloomy and scary from the top were just beautiful. I mean, I've heard it described as a million sheep running along. I mean, just, just beautiful white clouds. And I thought in that moment, wow, what a difference a different perspective can make. And while I had preached my grandfather's funeral and my grandmother's funeral, I, I, this was my dad, and this was going to be really hard to... To be a pastor and a preacher at, at my dad's funeral. And I remember in that moment just praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, help me keep this perspective. Help me remember in a few days that this is how you see death when all we see is death. In John, Jesus clearly has a very different perspective on death and dying and offers it to us. Just like that little girl falls asleep in her daddy's arms. 
And when she's asleep, he carries her up to her room and lays her in her bed, tucks her in, kisses her on her forehead. She wakes up in the morning having no idea how she got there, except that her daddy carried her upstairs while she was asleep. And to a believer, to the saint, that's dying. Notice also not only the perspective of death and dying that Jesus gives, but remember it matters what and in whom we believe. Let's pick up the story now in verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Hold up four fingers for me, everybody. Four days, four days. So remember, Jairus' daughter just died. The widow's son had been dead just long enough to start the procession to the funeral, to the cemetery, to burial. But Lazarus has been there now four days in the tomb. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And I hope you can feel her pain and her sense of frustration that this Jesus whom she believed in and knew that had he been there, this had been a very different outcome, and yet he wasn't there. So when we go through things like illnesses and even to death and dying, we, we wrestle within ourselves, our flesh, really, we struggle with with the difference between what God can do that we believe God can do, but that God doesn't do. That's where she is. But don't think she's a doubter. Verse 22 says, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What was she asking for? Jesus said to her before she asked, Your brother will rise again. He will. Martha said to him, I know. I know. I believe that. I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She was proclaiming her faith in the predominant Jewish view that, according to Daniel and other Old Testament prophets, teaching and even the teachings of the Pharisees, that in the last day there would be this general resurrection where all would be raised, the righteous into eternal life and reward the unjust and the evil to eternal separation. She believed that, but to her that day was an eternity away. It didn't give her much comfort in the moment on that day. But Jesus said to her, hold on a minute, let me fast forward this for you. I'm not talking about on the last day, I'm talking about on this day. I am, look at verse 25, I am that. I am the resurrection and the life. I, I am. Not it will, but I am. You know what Jesus is doing? He is pulling eternity forward. He's reaching out there and grabbing a hold of the last day and the final day and the big day, the day of resurrection, the day they longed for and hoped for but was an eternity away and offered no help and no hope today. Jesus brought that day today. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, so it does matter what you believe and in whom you believe. You can't say, well, I just believe or I believe in something. As long as you believe in something. No, you got to believe in the right thing. Listen to me. You can believe all you want in a lie. It doesn't make that lie true. You can believe with your whole heart that the truth is a lie. It doesn't make the truth a lie. True is true. That's the nice thing about being true. Guess what? It's true. 
The responsibility is ours to adjust our thinking and our response and our belief to the truth, not try to compromise truth to conform to our wish or belief or hope or expectation. Jesus said, I am, which should echo again in Exodus 3, when God said, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Yeah, I am me. That's me. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, listen to this, though he die, yet shall he live. But still, this is a future reality. Still could be to Martha the event at the end of time. He's saying, no, no, come here. Come here. Let me show you something. Not just there and then. I'm talking about here, right now. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked. When Beverly and I were in our first church in rural Louisiana, and I was just a semester or so into seminary and just a semester or so in preaching sermons, I preached from this passage and stood up in front of our small congregation and said, folks, I have an announcement to make today. You're going to be so happy to hear your pastor will never die. Now, not too long before that, uh, another pastor in the not-too-distant area had been arrested for running guns, seriously, out of New Orleans. In the back of his car, he'd pick up a load of guns and bring it up and then sell them out of his church. Uh, I, I'm telling you the truth. So the suspicion level of pastors in our area was at a, a rather low point. So when Fleming, who they barely know and who knows very little uh, to be confident about, stands up and says, I just want to tell you today you're a preacher. They're thinking, oh, cult leader on the rise. Congratulations, fans. I just want you to know your pastor will never die. They were looking at me like some of y'all are looking at me right now. So I had to explain myself. I said, I mean, let me, let me be clear. It's, it's, it's a different perspective based on faith and trust in Jesus that, yes, what you're looking at of me is perishing. It's corrupted, and so it's corruptible. Therefore, it, it will decay, decline, and finally it'll, it'll fail me. It will. But I'm not my body. I'm more than my body. I'm the me that Jesus is alive in. And the, the me that will live forever because of my faith and trust in Jesus. So yes, I'm going to change addresses, and I'm going to change clothes, and I'm going to unfold this tent and, and put on a new dwelling, a glorified body. The me that you know is me, I'm going to live forever. That's what Jesus said. He that lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the most important question in this whole conversation, do you believe this? Because it matters what you believe, and it matters in whom you believe. The question is, is, is resurrection, a, resurrection a reality? Is, is it a possibility? Is it anything you could even conceive to get your mind around? And the world will say, well, of course not. It's ridiculous. It's impossible. Unless, of course, you're God. In which, of course, you would say resurrection is... Uh, Nothing. Do you believe this? He asked her. I do believe, she said. Look what she said. Yes, Lord. How liberating to be able to say, yes, Lord. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And with that, she said everything. What she said there is you are Messiah, 
Jesus Christ, the Lord, you are God in flesh, you are the Almighty, you are the author of life, and if you say life is coming back, then get out of the way, here it comes. That's what she was saying. What an affirmation of faith. What a strong statement of her belief and trust. And faith really is the key. Faith really, 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 really is the key. It's the key to forgiveness for the sin that separates us from God now and will for eternity if something doesn't happen. The something that can happen is faith in Jesus allows our sin to be removed. That's called forgiveness, to send away, to let go, to release our sin, and to replace it with his righteousness, none of which we have on our own, but that he has more than sufficient supply of to impute or to deposit into our bankrupt account so that we who could not stand before God because of our sin can now stand in the presence of God and have a relationship with God based on the righteousness of Christ deposited to our account. This sounds like a transaction to you because it is. It is a spiritual transaction where my sin is removed, debt being paid, and I am given in my state of bankruptcy all the righteousness I'll ever need to stand rightly before God, justified, justified, never sin. What makes that transaction happen? Faith. Faith. And it's not all that complicated, folks. Here's the deal. We're in a whole lot of trouble here. It's sin. And I rebel you against God. It's not the amount of your sin or how bad your sin is. Any sin separates. Sin isn't the same, but it has the same effect. It separates from a holy God. God loves you in spite of your sin, so much so that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin, to die for you, to fully fulfill all of God's righteous expectations of the law, and to have the sufficient righteousness to give you what you need to get right with God. But guess what you got to do? You ready for this? Faith him. I mean, you're drowning. And the lifeguard comes and throws you a raft and says, take this. And you say, no, I don't believe in rafts. Here's a buoy. No, I don't like buoys. Well, I'll swim out there to you and rescue. No, I don't like rescue. I had in mind that you would be a different kind of lifeguard, that you would do things differently. He said, well, I don't know what you had in mind, but I'm here. You want me to save you or not? And you say, no. What's he supposed to do? See, faith just works sort of like that. God wants to help you. He's done everything he needs to do and can do to help you, but you've got to let God help you, my friend. Well, I just don't like that way. Wait a minute. What? Well, I just think it's arrogant and intolerant and inconsiderate to insist that I have to go this way. Who's arrogant? Who's intolerant? Who's inconsiderate? Who's lost their mind? Hey, the building's on fire. Come with me. What you going to do? I don't like to go that way. Uh, it's the only way out. Yes, but I prefer to take the elevator. <laughs> The elevator isn't working. The building's on fire. The electricity's off. You've got to come with me. Who are you anyway? And how dare you tell me that this building's on fire? I don't see fire. Do you see fire? I don't see fire. The fire's underneath. It's working its way up. The electricity's off. The smell, the smoke, the aroma. Oh, you're gonna get, it's going to come. It's going to get closer. Come with me now while you can. I'm busy. I have, I'm watching my show, my favorite show. It's the latest episode. I have to see what happens next. Ooh. I mean, at some point, you got to say, okay, which way do we go? That's faith. It's not all that scientifically, philosophically crazy. It's just, do you want God to help you or not? You're drowning. The building's on fire. 
will you let God help you? Do you believe that? He said to Martha, do you believe this? She said, oh, you better believe it. I, I believe it. And then the amazing things begin to unfold. It matters what and in whom you believe. Believe in Jesus. He'll save you from sin. But notice too, before we get to the end, that grief is still a part of the process. And I just feel like we just need to stop a minute and just admit something. That death, from any perspective, is still so grieving, sad, and devastating. I, look, I worry about people who have this Pollyannish sort of naive bounce through the room someone's died oh but you know no I mean when she had said this she went and called her sister Mary saying in private the teacher's here he's calling for you when she heard it she rose quickly and went to him and Jesus had not yet come into the village was still in the place where Martha had met him when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out they followed her supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there I just want to tell you this is a big production I mean, when somebody died in those days, they had professional mourners who were called in to weep and to wail for the lost and for the family of the one lost. So when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same question Mary, that Martha asks. It's not so much about doubting his ability as it was questioning his availability. Where were you? Why weren't you here? Why didn't you do something? You could have. Why didn't you? When Jesus saw her weeping, he didn't scold her. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping because death is death. It's the only perspective they had, really, when you're facing it. It's the perspective you have. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see and look at verse 35, shortest verse of the Bible. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. So there's no doubt that grief is still a part of the process, and Jesus joined them in the grieving process. Think about this. He knew who he was. He knew what he was about to do. He knew this, how this was going to end, and yet... He got right down in their grief trough with them and grieved along beside them. That said something about his heart, doesn't it? It says something about the heart of God, doesn't it? That what hurts us hurts him. And he's willing to get right down there in the middle of our hurts and help. To comfort, to encourage, to assuage. He's there for us. Some saw it and they said, oh, look how much he loved him. He's grieving for his friend. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And what you see there is a recurring theme of skepticism and criticism. But of course to them, dying is the end and it's over. There's nothing he can do. They just don't have his perspective and don't believe in who he is. But they had seen him do some pretty important and pretty incredible things. And they're thinking, I, he could have had he come, but he didn't. And so he wouldn't. What a shame. I, I want to just make this point and we'll move on to the conclusion that, that Mary and Martha at least didn't doubt his ability. They questioned his lack of availability. Which is a really common thing to do 
in sickness, illness, and death, even to Christians. We think, we believe, we know God could have changed the outcome. This could have gone differently for my loved one, for my spouse, for my child, for my parent. This could have gone differently. God can do it. You are right. God can do it. But when He doesn't, what do you do? We don't question His ability. We do not. If we question His lack of ability, then we must trust in His sovereignty. We believe in what He can do. We trust what He chooses to do. We trust Him. We believe in Him, not just what He does, in Him. I am the resurrection and life. He is the basis of our faith. And so we know that He loves us, even if He doesn't act according to our wishes or our will. We know that He won't abandon us, even if we feel abandoned. Where were you? Why weren't you available? Why did you do this? He's there. We know that He's with us, and we know that He has a plan for us. So when we lose someone, we believe in His ability and what He can do, and we are willing to trust in what He chooses to do. But grieving is still a very important part of the process, even as we see Jesus grieve. Paul said we grieve, not as others who have no hope. Our grief is different, but it is grief nonetheless. I would encourage many of you, if you've gone through the loss of a loved one, that you seriously consider going through our Grief Share ministry. To, to walk through that season of grief, to walk with others who are grieving as well, and to take comfort and find hope and to work through those seasons of grief that we all go through. And be reminded, of course, in the middle of that grief, my fourth and closing point, that Jesus has power over death in the grave. Never forget that. Never, 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 ever let yourself forget death is not the end. This is not all there is. There is more. And Jesus moved deeply again, verse 38 says, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days, four days. Hold up your finger, four days. See, the Jewish believe at this time, a superstitious sort of a belief, that the soul lingered around the grave for three or so days. But on the fourth day, all hope was lost, and the spirit went on about its business. Of course, on the fourth day, there was evidence of such. When the mortal decay had already set in, there was an odor. Which is just a way to say to us, this isn't a child who wasn't feeling well. This isn't the son of a widow who seemed to be dead or appeared to be dead. This is not resuscitation, folks. The awaking of one who is unconscious or apparently dead. Lazarus was dead. Make no mistake about it. Lazarus was dead. So that would have been the end of faith and belief for a great many who though he believed, they believed he could have done something had he been ill, he can't do anything now that he's dead. Because death, they would believe, is the end of it. Right? That's that perspective. What else can you do? He's dead. But isn't it interesting that we would believe in the power of God on this side of the grave, but doubt his power on the other side. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. 
when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He called his name so that only Lazarus would come out, I suppose. In verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So it is true that he who is so powerful on this side of the grave is not powerless on the other. Jesus can reach across that threshold and bring even the dead back to life. I want to challenge you at your point of belief here. If you should ever doubt or doubt at all in resurrection or the afterlife, then what you're really doubting is the existence of God. Because if God is God, then resurrection is a no-brainer, of course. He exists outside of our systems, our rules, our way of living and thinking. Of course God can do resurrection. Listen, if God can't do resurrection, He's not God, and you have nothing to worry about. But if He's God, resurrection? Well, sure. Of course. That makes perfect, philosophically, that makes, I mean, what kind of God would be God who doesn't have command over life and death? Of course he's God. And if he's God, and since he's God, of course, resurrection is one of his things that he certainly does. And Jesus reached across the threshold of death, through the doorway, and pulled Lazarus back to life. Often Look forward to hearing Lazarus' testimony. I think the skeptic or the cynic would say Lazarus might have said, Seriously? I was just settling in. For, you mean, wait, I got to go through all that again? Couldn't you just have let me stay? Or his testimony in the power of God and in the name and person of Jesus that even death can't stop him. And by the way, of the crowd that was there that day, some believed. Many who had come with Mary had seen what he did, believed in him, and so you should, because that's what he did. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what he had done. And the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. We can't deny it. We saw it. We were there. Let me tell you what he did. If we let him go on like this, verse 48 says, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So not only does he have the power over death and the grave, we have the power of choice to believe or not. The choice is ours. Some believed. Others didn't. And why would someone choose not to believe what clearly had just happened? Simple, the cost. It was going to cost them. If it was true, it would cost them too much. Their place, their power, their privilege, their prestige cost them too much. So it can't be true because I don't want to pay the price if it's true. Therefore, it must not be true. You see, that's idolatry. I prefer my truth over the truth. So it can't be true because that truth is too expensive. No thanks. That's sad and tragic and willful ignorance. That in spite of evidence, someone might say, yeah, I can't believe that. No, what you mean is you won't believe that. Be honest. You won't believe it because of the perceived cost of it or what the implications of it might be. 
But it doesn't change what is truth. Nor your ability to choose to believe truth. Hey, listen, if you have doubts about the resurrection, just bring them to Jesus. Talk to him about it. Ask him if it's true. Read the witnesses. Consider the evidence. And make an informed decision. But don't choose to be ignorant. Don't willfully reject what in your heart confirms truth. Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Don't be foolish. Believe. Pray with me. And Lord, we brought this very encouraging, wonderful story of your power over death and the resurrection of Lazarus. Still knowing from hindsight what's ahead that, that you yourself will be raised by the power of God. We think about where they were at this point in the journey and they must have just been overwhelmed, completely blown away. And yet, some believed and some rejected. So I pray over every one of us in this room right now, those watching on the internet or wherever, Lord, you will challenge us at the point of our faith and belief and that we would choose informed faith and a deep conviction believing in you. I pray that for you, friend, right now. Wherever you, you hear this story, you think, oh, it's just a story. It's been embellished through time. Listen, you can't believe any history if you can't believe this history. Because we have this the same way we have any other history. Somebody was there. Somebody saw what happened. Somebody said it. Somebody wrote it down. It was protected. It was shared. It was passed along. So that what we have today is an accurate and faithful record of the witnesses of the resurrection of Lazarus. But just like any other history, you have to choose to believe or you can choose to reject. My heart hurts for you if you choose not to believe. If you want to believe, you can believe. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe He is God? Do you believe God can do anything? If He can, He's not God. But listen, if you believe in any God at all, then he's got to be a God who can do resurrection or he's not much of a God. Do you believe in Jesus? Call out to him. Lord, I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. Help me with my struggles. Help me with my doubts, Lord. I'm seeking truth and I honestly want to know truth. If you would say that to the Lord, you will know truth because he is faithful to reveal himself to you and he is truth. Pray a prayer to turn from sin and self, yes. Pray a prayer to trust in Jesus, confess him as Lord, yes. And call out on Jesus. Even in your doubt, bring them to Jesus. Share your heart with him. Confess your fears, your questions. But whatever you do, friend, don't make the choice not to believe. And those of us who have chosen Jesus chosen to believe, who believe with our whole hearts based on the evidence and the truth of God's word and his witness in our hearts and in our lives. We know this to be true. We are experiencing it. We are living it every day. We are now living our resurrection life. We are living in eternity now. It's already begun for us. Help us to live with hope, with peace, courage, and confidence, with your heavenly perspective even on the worst of our earthly challenges. And Lord, help us to live as those who have a forever future guaranteed. 
And Lord, give us courage and confidence to share that hope with as many people as we can, even as the apostles and the early disciples spoke of the resurrection in every conversation they had. May the fact that you are alive inform our thinking and our conversations every day. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let me take this one step further for you. If you're struggling with belief or if you believe and you want to know what steps to take next, or if you've gone through a season of grief and difficulty and you love somebody to pray for you, we've got a prayer partner time set up right back here in the worship center. If you'll just head back to your left upstairs, you just go downstairs to our friendship room. There'll be some prayer partners waiting there. They'll love to talk with you, encourage you, pray for you, share with you from God's word how you can know that you're saved, that you have heaven and eternal life as God's gift to you, and just encourage you in your next steps of following after Jesus. I want to invite you to stand right now with me. We're ready to be dismissed. We have life groups next. We'd love for you to connect to a group of believers, to some friends, and grow in your faith and community. That's so important. So if you head to any welcome center in our four years, they'll help you find a life group. And our friendship room is open, and our prayer partners will be waiting there for you. Hey, I know it's not uh, Resurrection Sunday yet. It's three weeks away from Resurrection Sunday. But can we just go ahead and get a little bit of a head start and sort of warm up and get our minds right thinking about it? I want you to say something with me. Say this. Say, Jesus is not here. Say that. Jesus is not here. Now, that don't mean he's not here here. I mean, from the Bible, he wasn't there. He wasn't in the tomb. The tomb was empty. He's not here. He has risen as he said. Jesus is alive. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that the truth of God's word is both encouraging and uplifting to you. If you'd like more information about our church, service times, or locations, or if you have a question about what you heard today and you want to connect with someone, I want to encourage you to visit us on our website at championforest.org. Have a great day and God bless.